Hello, and welcome to Listed, a Forbes podcast about people, money, and power. I'm your co-host, Abe Brown. I'm the other co-host, Maggie McGrath. And today, we're going to talk about Mackenzie Bezos. I'm so excited for today's episode in part because I love talking about secretive people. And there are fewer secretive billionaires out there right now than Mackenzie Bezos. As her last name implies, if you don't already know, she is Jeff (laughs) Bezos's now ex-wife, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. They divorced earlier this year and their divorce has left her with a sizable chunk of his fortune. She got 25% of their Amazon sake, which I believe gives her a $35 billion fortune and puts her on the Forbes 400 for the first time. Speaking of the Forbes 400, if you missed our first episode of Listed, it was all about that list. So go back and listen if you haven't already. We gave you a little bit of a teaser about Mackenzie, but today we're going to be diving in so much deeper insofar as we can dive deep into Mackenzie, because as we have just said, she's stays off the grid. She stays in the shadows. There's really not much that's known about her. Right. She really has seemed to deliberately kind of shroud herself for a number of years now. And, you know, one of our core goals here is to put a spotlight on the wealthiest people in the world, because all that money, when you have billions of dollars, it can change the world. And it's not a good idea for that to remain hidden and unknown. Well, to her credit, since the divorce settlement, she has signed the Giving Pledge, which is a promise to give at least half of your fortune to charitable causes. So it does seem like she's mindful of the power that she has. Then again, most people don't know about this power, and nor do they know how she was involved in Amazon's earliest days, which she was. So this is why I'm so looking forward to speaking to our guest today. Noah Kirsch is a reporter on the Wealth Team. He spent many weeks trying to get Mackenzie to talk to him to no avail. but. Today, he's going to talk to us. He's here fresh from a few weeks waiting on Mackenzie's doorstep, kind of like an Amazon package. It's Noah Kirsch. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've just been saying I'm so excited about the story and to speak with you about the reporting process because I think it's always a pain for the reporter, but fun for everyone else when you do a story on someone who won't talk to you. Tell us about your pain. Well, it was painful. Uh, <laughs> I've had to refill my Advil subscription a couple of times. But it's it's sometimes fun to write a story like this, where uh, your focus from the beginning is just crafting a narrative from scratch. You don't know really anything about this person, and you're talking to anyone they've ever met, anyone who will talk to you, and trying to piece their story together. I, w- I was there when we assigned the story to you, and we knew then it was going to be a challenge, and y- y- you rose to it. How many people did you end up contacting? So it was spreadsheet after spreadsheet. Anyone who thinks reporting is fun or sexy is is incorrect. It really isn't any of those things. But it was all about trawling through LinkedIn. I think I contacted over 100 people. 18 spoke to me in the end, and the story is, is what we went with. So... I know how to use LinkedIn for evil journalistic purposes because I use it to look at under 30 candidates or when there's an investigation, look for former employees of a certain company or person. Um, When you say you contacted 100 people, you can't just Google like 
who's friends with Mackenzie Bezos. So can you walk through a bit more about that process? Sure. It's all about trying to create categories of different sections of her life. And I would say the normal person doesn't think about their life in this way, but all of us have touched different webs of people during different stages of our lives. So I found out where she went to high school. I contacted pretty much anyone I could find who graduated her year. Same thing. I knew she graduated from Princeton in 1992 when she studied English. So I got access to a list of people who studied English during that year. And we have this amazing researcher on staff. Who's, her, her name is uh, Sue Radlauer. And I would feed her names and she would help me find cell phone numbers for these people. And it was all about waiting till after work hours or on weekends when people were settled down for dinner or done with their dinners and calling them and trying to find them at a time when they would be most likely to be conversational. And uh, surprisingly for me on this story, a lot of people were reluctant to talk. Uh, it, it wasn't a, a pure investigation in the, in, the, in the sense that we thought something nefarious was going on here. It was really just trying to understand who Mackenzie Bezos actually is. But still, she's established a shell of people around her. And th th those closest to her were reluctant to share even the most basic information. Such as? Such as what her social life is like, what she's going to do with the $34 billion that she now has, and where exactly she'll deploy it. Those kinds of intimate questions and, and, and personal questions that help fill in the sketch of who a person actually is, those were really hard. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start with her childhood. Where did she grow up and who did you talk to from that time in her life? So the first people I got in touch with were a couple of people who went to the Hotchkiss School, which is this ritzy, exclusive boarding school in Connecticut. And I know from talking to them that already she was very bright, already she was writing fiction, but she was quiet and reserved and kind of kept to herself. One of the people who went to school with her said that she finished her coursework in three years. And he said, there's like one person a decade who's smart enough to do that. Another person I talked to said that uh, her fiction was amazing and she won awards and it brought people to tears. So clearly she left a positive impression on people. Her fiction brought them to tears? This person, I don't know how sensitive of a person they are. I can't speak to that. But, <laughs> but he says he was moved to tears. That's right. By her high school writing. Though. By her high school writing. A prodigy. And at the time, they knew her as Mackenzie Tuttle? That's right. Uh, you also, just back a little further very quickly, she's mm -hmm. the youngest, I believe, of what, three children? What do her parents do? Mm -hmm. So she's the middle child. She has two brothers, one on either end. And her father uh, was a financial representative, mm -hmm. and her, her mom was a homemaker. And uh, the way I've been able to piece it together, clearly they were comfortable because she went to Hotchkiss. But she grew up in San Francisco. She published her first book, which was 142 pages long, called The Bookworm, when she was six years old. Clearly a bright and precocious child. <laughs> I don't know if that story moved anyone to tears. Did but you receive the manuscript? I did not receive the manuscript. What about other early writings? I will say I took a field trip to Princeton where she went to school, like I said, and I sat down uh, next to Kevin Cruz. He was the other person in the archives library. He's this Twitter famous historian. And so as he was doing his work on, I think, the history of American segregation, I was reading her 22-year-old manuscript on called uh, The Fathering Water. And trying to get what, is, what the fathering water? It's about this area. I don't even know where it's supposed to take place, but there's this like almost mythical flood, and you follow the characters through this whole dilemma, and you learn more about them. And I was trying just to get insights into the way she thinks and the way she writes. I think fiction writing can be uh, a really personal exercise, um, and and that was really her first publication. It wasn't quite a book; it was a thesis, but. Uh, about 10 years later, 15 years later, she actually published her first bonafide book. 
So that didn't make it into the story ultimately, but it was fun. So you read her thesis from Princeton. What about her published novels that came out later? I did. Yeah. So I, I uh, well, first I read The Everything Store, which is that famous biography about Amazon by Brad Stone. And then I ordered her novel, uh, The Testing of Luther Albright, which seemed to me to be an, an extension, at least in some ways, uh, of, uh, of her thesis. So one of the characters' names, the title of the book is The Testing of Luther Albright. One of the characters in her thesis, his name is Luther. And it seemed to me that th- there, were some, there was some thematic overlap. That's interesting. Do you, th- you couldn't discern any personal details or philosophy from the thesis or the book, but do you think there's a Luther or a character like this in her own life? I have to believe that anytime you write fiction, especially good fiction, that it's tethered somehow to reality. I don't know if it would be fair to me to say, well, this guy Luther is clearly her uncle, uh, Jack. <laughs> but um, I, I really do think that you can get a sense of who someone is and, and how they think by reading their fiction. What do you think about how she thinks, having read her fiction? She seems to me as someone, she seems to me like someone who's really enamored by uh, human behavior. I don't know if that's vague, but she talks a lot about people wronging each other and people even lusting after each other and trauma and tragedy. And the thesis flips back and forth between this young girl, her name is Silas, and and then more of a narrative structure about her father and all these characters who are wrapped up in this flood. In some places, it's a little bit hard to follow, but you really did get a sense that she has an eye for for what makes these people tick and, and what they're feeling. All right. So this is a good time for this debate because do you, uh, it's it's not that bad. (laughs) Did you read, so Mackenzie Bezos has written not one, but two novels. She wrote the one you just mentioned. She also wrote one named Traps. Did you read Traps? I did not read Traps. But you read all of uh, the other one. Yes. I I will say if there's a, if there's a quiz coming, I'm worried because I did read it quickly, but. but There's no quiz. I I just sort of want to talk about well, we are not literary critics. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm. Uh, I edit out words for a living. I'm willing to have a critical opinion of this. <laughs> You're not a fan. Well, no. Abe didn't read the testing of Luther Albright. I'm still making my way through it. Before I say my opinion, what did you think of it? I was actually well. So I will say this: I went into reading that book having just read her college writing, and and that seemed a little bit green. Um, She's clearly insightful and, and very talented, and, and God forbid anyone ever gets hold of the writing I did at 22 years old or even my current age and, uh, and dissects it. But when I read that book, I, I did think it was more mature writing, and, and I, I was impressed with it. I just want to read the first line for our audience so they can hear it, because I, I liked the very opening line. I'm a sucker for good opening lines. It goes, The year I lost my wife and son, my son performed nine separate tests of my character. I was intrigued. I like hardly to... call me Ishmael. <laughs> I was a fan. I'm, I'm looking at Abe's face right now, and he's got one hand up in the air dismissively. Yeah, so Abe, it, is no, a, Abe is a bit of a book snob. Abe I, is a bit of a snob. What, whatever, Maggie. No, <laughs> I did not. I'm going to be very honest. I did not read very much of Traps, uh, but I certainly sat down with enough time to make a chunk of a 199-page novel, which is firmly, I really believe a good novel is about 300 pages. I saw 199 pages and thought, you know what? I will sit down. I can probably read most of this. My eyes were skidding off the page in about two seconds flat. And, you know, the other the, the other book that I'm actively enjoying reading and getting my way through is Beloved, which is written by Toni Morrison. And Toni Morrison is... She, of course, served as Mackenzie Bezos's thesis advisor in college and is a Nobel Prize winning laureate. Right. And passed to- away earlier this year. 
Rest in peace. That's true. Uh, rest in peace, Toni Morrison. Beautiful writing. Toni Morrison, Mackenzie Bezos is not. But, <laughs> well, that's no fair. How many people are? <laughs> Good point, Noah. I will say on the cover of The Testing of Luther Albright is Toni Morrison's endorsement, quote, a sophisticated novel that breaks and swells the heart. Noah, was your heart broken and swollen by this by this work? Again, I think you guys are setting very high <laughs> bars for writing. <laughs> I was impressed by it. And it, it seemed to me that she's clearly a writer. She's an authentic, legitimate writer. Um, and not everyone has to like her work. I think that's totally fair. But it, I, it, I didn't read it and think this is just the side hobby of somebody else who's successful. Huh. The wife of the biggest bookseller in the world gets a widely praised novel by her former college professor and a, and and other people color me shocked but amazon did not serve as her publisher she has an amazing uh, book agent who's very revered in the industry i think she's legit Oh, yeah, this is Harper Perennial. I, I like this notice. debate. Um, so I'm kind of curious how this, she was a creative writing major at Princeton, or English major, English, I guess. English, that's right. Uh, how does she go from writing fiction to, she goes on to D.E. Shaw, an investment firm, and then has a, I, I alluded to this in our introduction, but has a larger role in Amazon's founding story than I think most people realize. So can you connect those dots for us? Sure. So she took a, Mackenzie took a circuitous route into fiction writing, which I think probably a lot of people in the arts do, which is she graduated college and immediately decided that she had to make some money if she was going to be a writer. So she goes off to this hedge fund, D.E. Shaw, and that's where she meets Jeff Bezos, who famously left the firm to found Amazon in the mid-90s. And according to people I talked to who were there in the early days, she was very key in the strategic decision-making early on at the company. She did. She presided over their books, their accounting. At night, she helped pack orders in the warehouse. She was heavily involved. And in fact, one of the company's first investors, this guy named Nick Hanauer, told me uh, Mackenzie was just as important as Jeff was. She really should have gotten 50% of the company. I'm kind of curious. Nick attributes such a large part of Amazon's founding to her. Why didn't she get a 50% stake? Why is this not more well-known? I mean, she is private. Is it because of her personality or is it because of the way men get and take credit? It's hard for me to answer that question without speculating. I will say, I think for they were put in a, in a pretty much impossible position where he's the richest person on the planet and all of a sudden there's this incredibly scandalous tabloidy affair. How do we resolve it while protecting our family and protecting this brand? So I don't know what her decision-making was, if she had pushed for more or if she was comfortable with 25% and felt that even though she was key in the early days, Jeff really took it and made it what it is. Um, ultimately, 25% of a $150 billion fortune is, is still pretty substantial. I'm not arguing that it's so little, but I guess to the, I'm curious about the credit question, right? Like what exactly did she do to help build Amazon? Like, is there a way to break down intellectual property? It's probably a bigger existential question than we have time to answer. And I mean, it's kind of a classic story of one founder getting the upper hand and getting to write out the other founders from company history, right? Based on my reporting, it seems like maybe what she wanted to do was ride the exciting roller coaster of building Amazon, but she still saw herself as a fiction writer. And so she spent years helping raise her family along with Jeff and then spent, I think, a decade before she published her first book. So maybe that's where her priorities were. So she works in Amazon for a few years, then she steps away. 
Mm -hmm. Around the time the company went public in 1997, she had really backed away and, and was focused, like I said, on her family and her writing. What most surprised you as you you emailed, called a hundred plus people, you to, you talked to high school classmates, college classmates. Is there something on the cutting room floor or something that you discovered that's in the story that you were really wowed by? Hmm. One thing I found interesting, I don't know if it answers your question entirely, but I talked to one of her former professors, this, this guy named Jeff Nunokawa at Princeton, and he told me that they've stayed in touch the last couple of years. And one of the things they like to talk about is exchange notes on what they're reading. And he said, recently, they've talked about the role of sentimentality in the second industrial revolution. <laughs> so I'm looking at this as here's a woman who helped build the world's biggest retailer, but clearly has a very academic mind. And uh, definitely whatever affirmation I needed to tell me I shouldn't be a professor at Princeton, I got it right there. <laughs> I'm curious about when there is someone who speaks so infrequently, if ever, to the press, a lot of rumors and misconceptions can arise. What, if any, misconceptions about her did you discover as you started reporting about her actual life compared to what might be in the tabloids? Well, first, to your point, the the famous book about Amazon, The Everything Store, which which many people have already read, famously, Mackenzie wrote a review of the book on Amazon.com and said this thing is garbage oh, right. and completely untrue. So clearly she has somewhat of a tense relationship with people who try to profile her. And I understand the frustration of a reporter calling everyone you've ever met and trying to turn over rocks and find tidbits that are interesting and, and learn information. $35 billion buys a lot of, you know, solace at night. Yes, that is definitely <laughs> true. But to answer your question more directly, I think, I don't know if there were misconceptions about her because I don't think people know a lot about her to begin with. And that was really the impetus for this project when Abe assigned it to me, was to try to learn whatever we could about this person who's now enormously powerful because of how much money she has. I will say, of all the people I spoke to, really all of them were effusive about who she is as a person and how smart she is, and that she could temper the tenseness or the abrasiveness that Jeff Bezos is known for. Oh, interesting. So did any of those sources give any sort of guess as to what her next chapter is? Given that she just signed the giving pledge in the last couple of months, it seems like her focus will probably be on, A, deploying at least half of the $36, $35 billion she now has, and B, I would guess that she's going to continue to write and continue to talk about sentimentality and industrial revolutions and whatever else she finds interesting. Noah, you did manage to reach one of the family members, right? Like I said, I called everybody I possibly could. So our amazing researcher, Sue, helped me find cell phone numbers and email addresses for her two brothers, for her parents, and I called all of them. None of them picked up, but I did get through very briefly to her brother, Chandler, who, who runs a media company, interestingly enough. Strangely, he had never been contacted before by a reporter, so he was a little bit rattled. And I tried to dive in because I needed to confirm a couple of pieces of information. So I just asked him right off the bat, hey, there's a chance you, you might feature in this story, and I just want to make sure anything I write is accurate. Is it true that you guys grew up in San Francisco? Can you tell me a little bit about what your childhood was like? And so I got a, a few pieces of information out of him, and then he really clammed up and, and didn't want to say anything else. He didn't want to say anything about how to reach his sister. He didn't want to say anything about what she'll do with her money. Um, I think he was uncomfortable at being reached out of the blue. And, and I don't relish that part of my job, which is to, to ask people questions that they don't like. But, but sometimes that, that's what I have to do, what all of us have to do. And of course, I can understand that on a human level. I, I, I think 
he has a right to be a private person and not participate. And his sister probably also preferred, would prefer that her life look like that as well. But of course, when you have $35 billion and you make a public statement about, I'm going to give away at least 15, 20 billions of uh, dollars of that, I think people have a right to ask questions about what your philosophies are and, and what you stand for as a person. All right. Well, Noah, I'm going to ask you to play along with us because we have segments on this podcast. Segments. Are segments. No, never. That was too close to a song for my liking, quite <laughs> frankly. All right. I think the first one we should do is the Kylie Calculation. The Kylie Calculation is a game that we play kind of as a riff on the internet outrage that we sparked uh, when, as a publication, we called Kylie Jenner a self-made woman a self and said that she had a, an entirely self-made fortune. So from a scale of starting from nothing to being born with a golden spoon in her mouth, what is Mackenzie Bezos? I would say she gets major points for being self-made. She helped build one of the largest companies on the planet. And even though she stepped away from it and, and was no longer the face of it or was never the face of it, I think she deserves credit for that. I agree with you. And I I think one of, I mean, it may we may in later years learn more, but for now, we may not know the full extent of just how self-made she is. I hope to learn it because I am forever fascinated by wives who play a large role in their husbands' careers and legacies. That's why I loved Fosse Verdon, um, the limited series about choreographer Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. Anyway. I, I am so happy you saw a television show. I, I make an exception when it comes to dance. I'll give you other Ryan Murphy shows to watch. Well, anyway, I, I feel like having learned a bit more from Noah and his story in this interview about Mackenzie— I'm not going to disagree with what either of you said. It sounds like she's somewhere in the middle, right? She's neither Oprah coming from nothing nor an, a Walton having inherited the whole the whole bunch. Yep, totally. All right. My favorite segment is Statue of Limitations. It is our little guessing game as to whether the subject of our conversation will ever have a statue built in his or her honor. So Mackenzie Bezos has signed the giving pledge. She has committed to giving away half of her fortune. Depending on how she deploys it, I don't know. Is someone going to build a statue honoring her, her giving? If I were a betting man, I would say yes. It's really tough to create meaningful change through philanthropy. It's messy. It takes a long time to do even with $35 billion, I first, I don't think she donates all of it, giving pledge or not. And I think it does, is very tough to put that money to work effectively. Well, she doesn't seem like someone who really wants a statue made of her. That's such a great point. But I will say, once you're giving away $15 billion, if you give $100 million, one of the organizations has to say, we're going to make a, a bust of, of your head, don't you think? Well, you know, in some ways, I think this game, maybe we should do this for later pods. And in this pod, should there be a statue to her? Now, will there be? Should there be a statue to her in but the future? But she hasn't deployed her money yet. So I don't think we can judge if there should or should not be. I'll judge. I'm perfectly fine judging. Well, I, I know that. I I agree with Noah, actually, and I was going to bring this up, that I don't know if she would want a statue built of her. Maybe she'll undergo a massive personality change over the next however many decades and come out dancing on the Emmys, giving away money to the arts and education and writing and, and all of that. But I would highly, highly doubt it. I think it's about as likely as her having a best-selling book. Ooh. I don't want to touch that. 
<laughs> you know what? I just like to disagree with Abe, so I'm going to take that bet and say that Mackenzie Bezos will top the book list. Amazon's book list? She owns half the company. It can't be that hard for her to top it. I was referring to the New York Times book list. Ah, the New York Times. All right, we've got one last category, one last segment we want to do with you, Noah. It's called Triplicate. It's a game of Would You Rather. Would you rather be her lawyer, be her publicist, or be her editor? 100% her lawyer. This guy has the best job. So here's a final tidbit for you from reporting this story. I called him and I said, I want to have the chance to speak to you. I'll even talk to you off the record. I just want to give you a sense that we're writing something and give you the chance to weigh in. And I've never in my reporting experience ever had a lawyer tell me I won't even talk to you off the record. So that guy doesn't have to talk to anybody. He might have been playing golf. He might have been doing work. I don't know, but it sounds like a good job to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Abe, what do you say? I'm going to editor. She's got a lot of work to do. I've got some ideas. Mackenzie, if you want to collab, I'm here at Forbes. You can find my email online. Shoot me a message. A Brown at Forbes.com. Mackenzie Bezos, he's ready for you. I'm definitely ready. I actually, I was going to say editor, but I don't think she, I want to work on that project with you. I, I think got that's this. A, I got this. You got it on your own. I, I'll take publicist, which is not necessarily. Oh, I, God, means I'll have to work with you in some more greater aspect. Don't complain. You love it. <laughs> I feel like having edited women's content, I have a sense for the types of stories that the readers are looking for from Forbes. And generally, I know what I want to know from Mackenzie. So I feel like I could generally coax her to the right stories, to the right places, maybe not be the most out there publicist in the world. But I feel like together we could at least get some more photos of her in the Getty archive for all publications to use. All right. That's it for the fun and games. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad you survived my assignment to you and the, you know, the trip into the Amazon jungle. Thanks for having me. All right, Maggie, we're at the final chapter of our podcast. It's last but not least. I'm rolling my eyes at both the delivery and the pun, but you're you, so I should expect nothing less. Uh, you know how the story goes. All right. For our audience who might just be joining us for the first time this episode, last but not least is our attempt to give some love to other lists around the internet because while we make so many lists here at Forbes, we don't want to navel-gaze too much. Maggie, what list do you have for me this week? All right. Well, I was thinking about Mackenzie's writing because I feel like that was the bulk of the prep I did for this interview. And I'm actually really surprised that she writes under her, her real name. She is someone, because she is so private, I would expect to use a pen name. So the list that I have this week is a list of the 10 real people behind famous pen names. Oh. I won't read all all 10, but the ones that I enjoy. Marianne Evans is the real name of Ooh. George Eliot. Ah, okay. Gloria Jean Watkins is the real name of Bell Hooks, feminist writer. Erica Leonard is the real name of Fifty Shades of Grey author E.L. James. Mm. David John Moore Cornwell is? Heaven the foggiest. (laughs) John Le Carre. Ah. Eric Blair is the name of George Orwell. Okay. This one's interesting. Nora Roberts writes books under her own name, but also has books under the name, the pen name J.D. Robb. Okay. 
And I like this one. Lemony Snicket is a household name, but that is not the real name. The man behind those books is Daniel Handler. I, now I know why he writes under Lemony Snicket. It's a much more unique name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly is. Thank you so much for listening to our second episode of Listed. And thanks again to our guest, Noah Kirsch. We hope he is decompressing from his McKenzie reading with some of his favorite books. Please join us next week while we discuss The Celebrity 100. Senior editor Zach O'Malley-Greenberg will be with us in studio talking all about the world's highest earning celebrities. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews help us get the word out about this pod, and we very much appreciate it. I'm your co-host, Maggie McGrath, editor of Forbes Women. And I'm your co-host, Abe Brown, senior editor of Forbes. Listed as a Spoke Media production. We record in studio with Kieran Meadows. And our producer is Reva Goldberg. Our theme song is composed and performed by Will Short. Our production team is Caroline Hamilton, Tyler Norris, Janielle Kastner, and Keith Reynolds at Spoke Media. And thanks to Travis Collins, Kyle Kramer, Randall Lane, Laurel Monglin, and Dario Furutan here at Forbes. Bye! See you next week. So you go to the Princeton Archives, and do they, I guess they have a section with all graduates' theses? That's exactly right. First of all, very good use of theses. It's always a pleasure to hear that. But uh, <laughs> um, thank you.